Hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps, uh, the podcast which brings you all you need to know, uh, all you may want to know or not want to know about sourdough, uh, about banter and hopefully about the intersections between church, culture, theology, mission, apologetics and everything in between. Um, I am Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as ever by Andy Bannister and Michael Ott, apologist and evangelist extraordinaire. How are you guys doing? Yeah, that sounds um, extraordinarily um, <laughs> complimentary. Yeah. No, well, it, it was intended to be. It yeah. could be positive or negative, couldn't it? It could be extraordinary because of the amazing skills the Lord has gifted you with, or it could be extraordinary because nobody has messed things up in, in quite the same way as Bannister and Ott's. So you can use, you know... That's true. It's yeah. an ambiguous... It was extraordinary. The Titanic was extraordinary. Billy Graham was extraordinary. So <laughs> decide for yourself true. which category. Well, that's it. It's a veil, a veiled compliment. Exactly. I don't, I don't even know what the plural of extraordinaire would be because it's usually an extraordinaire would be, I don't know, one person. But I don't know. we'll have to work on that. We'll have to have, you know, listeners can send in. What the, yes. We've had discussions about plural, a plural plurality of evangelists being what is it? A, pronou- a pronouncement of evangelists is what we had one uh, one listener. And a confusion of anyway. theologians, I think. A confusion of theologians. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> superb. So how so how you guys? What's what's been new with you guys? Good. Yeah. Well, I've been um, hiking in the Lake Districts this weekend. So we had a bit of sun. We had a bit of rain. We had a bit of thunder. We had a bit of lightning. A bit of hail. Like. Pretty much standard Lake District weather, yeah. And uh, we even occasionally saw a bit of a mountain as well between the, the mist and the rain. So that was great. Yeah, excellent. Well, excellent. well the other way around because we are uh, we are getting preparing to uh, take the family camping on the weekend. I have us two small people in the house who think camping in Scotland is the most exciting thing. Uh, you know, my wife and I are like eh, rain, midges, whatever. My eight year old and six year old think this is utopia. So. On Friday afternoon, we shall pack the tents up, drive an hour and a half up the road to the mountains. And if you never hear from us again, you will know the midges were really bad that weekend. Well, I was going to say, Andy, if, if extraordinaire can be an adjective that has like both double and negative implications, then exciting camping could also be translated <laughs> in one of two it's ways. Funny, it's funny you say that. I remember my time in Canada. I lived in Canada for six years. And it was, um, you know, teaching Canadian friends out there the the strange way that British English works, right? Because to a Canadian, to a North American, exciting means it's great. I say, no, 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 that's not what it means in British English. If someone comes to you and says, you know, I've got a great plan, I've got a great idea, and you go, oh, that's a that's an exciting proposal. Those of Brits know that doesn't mean you should go. Well, oh, that's that. interesting. Is one of them. That's interesting. 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 Yes, you really must come to dinner. Uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's another sort of, you know, so yes, yeah. English has its way, doesn't it? Or, or like, do you know, I actually, I bucked the British trend once because someone, in, so I met someone at a, at a research thing in the U, I was in the US and in Minnesota, uh, kind of at the Kierkegaard library. Um, I was there doing a kind of summer fellowship years ago and there's a fellow student there was saying, Oh, whenever you're in Chicago, you must come and stay clearly doing it in the normal way but he's an american doing it in a british way and i was like <laughs> literally like about i was like i'm actually going to a conference in chicago in november and so i, I emailed him i emailed him hey you know that chat we had <laughs> over a book <laughs> um please can i come and stay with you because i don't actually have anywhere to stay and it's very expensive to stay at a downtown hotel and he wasn't even there so his parents put me up so this person i'd only met like once his parents are putting me up in Chicago for the time. So it's quite good. So I yeah. think you should take people up on their offers. Yeah. And the conclusion to that, I guess, uh, this could be a link to where we're going to go, right? Yeah. Is the, the meaning of words is quite important, right? That's all oh, very good. You, you, you're not supposed to do the segue for the host, Andy. I mean, that's. Actually, you're not hosting, aren't you? Okay. So what you exactly. 
Yeah, yeah I'll talk to so, I've always actually thought about the meaning of words as being really important. Um, <laughs> That's a good so, link. And that links in to our topic for today, uh, which is what is our topic for the day? It's what's the problem with same-sex marriage? So we've, if we've hooked you in with a title, are we are we saying, hey, what's the problem with same-sex marriage? Or what's the problem with same-sex marriage? Who knows? You're about to find out on Part of the Gaps uh, when we dive into this question. Now, of course, in our last episode, we discussed um, how to destroy a denomination, the nice pithily uh, titled um, episode, where we discussed um, Methodism's a recent uh, decision to accept same-sex unions, um, but not only to accept same-sex unions. And what, one of the issues we discussed, you know, was what does this do to marriage? Or we began to discuss, and that's what we're going to be getting into properly today. And I'm just going to read out a quote uh, from the Methodist report, which was a long report. Um, the whole conference report, I believe, was 982 pages. Um, That's which... more than the number of Methodists in the UK, isn't it? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> almost. That's kind of how you think, you know, do, do churches need conference reports of, of almost a thousand pages in length? I don't know. Maybe that should suggest something of an issue anyway. Uh, but uh, but obviously, we've discussed obviously the need to, there's there's uh, our contingents within Methodism who are kind of staying within it as evangelicals saying, well, actually, this is no different it's just saying we're accepting there's two ways of seeing this and we're trying to stay in partnership and focus on the gospel, this kind of thing, uh, even though we disagree on, on these things. That's kind of the line that's been taken um, at present. But here's the, here's the paragraph that stood out to me. Um, the church recognizes that the love of God is present within the love of human beings who are drawn to each other and who enter freely into some form of life-enhancing committed relationship with each other. Whether that be through informal cohabitation or a more formal commitment entered into publicly, and for me that that phrase, you know, through informal cohabitation or a more formal commitment entered into publicly, it does something to how how we see and think about marriage. Um, it it suggests that marriage is not only optional, but even when you do it, is it's a mere. Um, just a mere public formal arrangement almost and, and I, I had an experience of this well recently many many of you will have been I'm sure listeners uh, and you guys here to weddings which which are now kind of secular weddings or agnostic weddings as it were just just sort of separating out the kind of uh, religious element but but maintaining lots of the rituals so they're often lovely occasions you can get, get together with family but the actual uh, the registrar becomes the vicar uh, and, and I was in, in one just last weekend, and actually the registrar was very charismatic, actually much more exciting, interesting, than a vicar would be. That It wasn't in a church, it was one of these venues where everything was there, the kind of lovely little church-like, pew-like setup, but it wasn't a church. And all of the talk was about how wonderful it was to make these vows to one another, and most importantly, she said, in the presence of you guys here. And I was thinking, oh, you didn't say in the presence of God. He doesn't need to be part of this. But most importantly, you guys are here. So it's this public formal arrangement which can be entered into. You know, is there something here in how we've enabled and supported and allowed same-sex marriage as a society or as, a ch- as some denominations have that actually ends up eroding what marriage is? What do you guys think about that? Well, <clears throat> I want to begin by saying I think you're, I think you're right. Eroding is a good is a good word. I mean, one of the things, a couple of things that strike me in the story you, you told there, both the, the story of that, of the secular wedding and also what the, the, the Methodists unwittingly did in their, in their, in their, you know, doorstop of a report is that it, it begins subtly in some cases and less subtly in others, making marriage an individual thing. And I think 
there's something about marriage that it, for marriage to be married properly, and I think we'll come on to that that question as we go through the, the show. Right? Doesn't it have to be a doesn't have to be a communal thing? It's not good enough for you and the person you you love, be it someone of the opposite sex, the same sex, a, a bridge. I say a bridge because we were joking around before the the show began that there is actually a woman. I thought it was in the states because a lot of strange things happen in the US. I must apologise to the Americans. She was an Australian lady um, who, who 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 married a bridge uh, a few years ago. We'll put links in the show notes just so you could actually actually follow the story up and see I'm not making this up but if marriage simply becomes you can marry whatever you want however you want it's just there's an individualistic thing and I think then it, it lacks any connection to community building uh to which is a big part of what marriage is I think marriage has always been designed historically not just in Christian marriage but marriage generally as a as a crucial building block of society but for that to work it has to be a recognition mm. that you're part of something bigger not just something you've invented yourself and I think we live and, in and that and that's something bigger can't can't be the architectural structure you've actually married yourself to. <laughs> no, um, I mentioned also before the show. I was I'm halfway through through reading the book The Unbroken Thread by Saurabh Amari, who's an, an Indian oh, yeah. uh, guy came emigrated to the states, eventually became a Christian, and he's got a fascinating chapter in there on um, why it's not okay to be quote spiritual but not religious, and he talks about ritual in there mm. there's something about ritual and of course marriage is a ritual that a ritual just can't be something you've made up just like with spirituality mm. it's lovely if you if you get the warm fuzzies by every friday night you lie back in your rosemary center bubble bath light a candle have a glass of wine listen to pan pipes that that's great and if that's lovely for you so be it but it's not ritual because mm. it's not connected to others it's not connected to something actually kind of bigger than you with some degree of authority it's not connected to the community and it's not connected chronologically through time and then it loses all the power that ritual has and the funny thing is you don't have to be a christian to recognize that he quotes lots of anthropologists who've done work on ritual mm. and that ritual functions in terms of community building when it's when it's got those those attributes and i think mm. what we're seeing with marriage right now is marriage be- becoming totally individualized mm. i think picking up on that a couple of things that i've noticed over the last year that kind of reinforce this idea of where marriage has gone is um, one kind of most recently was when Matt Hancock um, was revealed to have um, seems to have an affair um, and that obviously led to his ultimately to his resignation although he kind of tried to hang on for a while and when he was trying to hang on um, one of the things that was said about it was well this is just a private affair you know it's, it's just you know it's not uh, important it's not affecting his job and, and so on um, and as someone very helpfully tweeted about it, they said, well, if Matt Hancock wants his relationship to this woman to be seen as a, to the woman who was his wife, to be seen as a private affair, he shouldn't have made public vows of commitments. Hmm. So it's this kind of idea, we make, you know, marriage is meant to be public. It's a, it's a something you do before others. And yet, functionally, in the way that we treat it, we've kind of made it kind of just, it's just me and this other person doesn't affect wider society. Although I think, as we'll see kind of sociologically, there are massive implications for the breakdown mm. of marriage more generally mm. upon society. Mm. I think the other thing was um, when lockdown happened for quite a few months, like weddings were totally banned um, in in the UK. Mm. And uh, that eventually kind of changed. And even till like almost now, it's been kind of limited in terms of how many people can go and that kind of stuff. And um uh, which is funny for us, actually, because we were originally planning to get married in May last year, um, uh, which would have not happened. So thankfully, we, not knowing why, moved our wedding forward to January, got it in. Mm. But we had other friends who were trying to plan their marriage in, in June last year. And it was interesting. Um, they were kind of really kind of getting frustrated that they weren't able to get married. 
And one of the government ministers, I can't remember who it was now, was asked, you know, why are you not going to open up marriages? And his words were to the effect of, I'm sure we'd all like to have a party right now, but like we've got a pandemic on. Mm -hmm. In other words, what is marriage? It's basically an excuse for a big party. It's just another kind of thing that you do in life. No kind of sense that actually like, no, this is bigger than that. And even if we could only have three people present, Mm -hmm. like this is still an an important thing. So Mm -hmm. I think there are signs like this that show that like marriage already has kind of like massively slipped from kind of biblical understanding of what marriage is all about. That's really good. Yeah, that's really interesting. As I say, it's really interesting looking at the the way that politicians like Matt Hancock are, or British politicians. For, for those who aren't, yeah, familiar with British politics, our Australian listeners, married to Bridges or, or not, um, may, uh, may, may be appreciative of. Um, that, our listenership yeah, spans a wide range, isn't it? Spans a. See what oh, nicely done. Bridges. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I was waiting in suspense for that pun. There must be, I was thinking that Andy's gonna, Andy must have You'll 10 get over or 12 it, Mike. You'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can spring from one pun to another. That's it. Water under the bridge, all the rest of it. So um, they, yeah, so uh, what was I even saying? Yeah, that was it. Um, so, so the way that uh, politicians often cart their um, morality publicly when it suits them. So obviously it's, it's seen as a good thing to be married with children. Um because it shows that you're stable. They know that. And the PR people who support politicians know that. They know that it communicates something to society that marriage and children are a good thing for society and, and something to be emulated, something that they wish, they hope will will be will kind of catch on, if if not already. Uh, and yet when it goes against them, whether there's a divorce or whether there's an affair, it's like, as you say, Michael, it's a kind of private affair and we can just take away that public nature of it, which is so, so ludicrous, isn't it? And we even had... Uh, who was it? Was it the which bishop was it? The Church of England bishop who tweeted, no, tweeted. I think he said in, in the kind of Zoom interview that it was just oh, just a bit of a fling. Uh, so it doesn't. Oh uh, yeah, I think the bishop of Manchester, but yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. incredible. Yeah, and so so the, you see the way in which morality can be picked up and put down and chosen at will here or there, depending on what's you know what the kind of flavour of the month is. So there's clearly something here, isn't there, where we've lost the foundations for what marriage actually is societally, as well as in the church. This is where it's kind of, for, for many years, we've known that in society it's been sliding. You know, we had the wedding industry is bigger than ever. Well, not during COVID, as you say. <laughs> but, but but it's been, you know, huge um, sums of money spent on weddings. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know that marriage is in, in held in very low esteem and divorce rates are kind of mm-hmm. through the roof uh, consistently in, in Western society, Pro- specifically, mm-hmm. as you say, through, due, due to the individualism which has been fostered. You know, my wife and I remember going on a, um, a kind of getaway somewhere in Scotland, in our time in Scotland, in our sort of, you know, the equivalent of Siberia, we could call it, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... It it was interesting. We were the only. I used to get these deals where we where we'd get that. I thought, oh, this is a really good deal at this hotel. But it would be because you're the only non wedding guest at this hotel, <laughs> and so there's actually a wedding going on, and people are like up till like three in the morning. It's like, oh, that's why it was like a third a third of the price of normal. But it was weird to go to these. We would, it happened to us a couple of times, and you get you sort of observe a wedding from outside of it, and, and both cases they were they were non Christian weddings, and. It was just kind of really sad. This was a couple who would have lived together for seven or eight years beforehand. There's no sort of anticipation or build up to like what it is for them to come together for the first time sexually. It was that was all kind of gone. You can almost see we, we were having breakfast the next day, where the bride and groom were just there, just in their normal clothes on their phones, you know, talk, to probably tweeting about the wedding or whatever. Uh, over breakfast not even talking to each other and it's like now for for many for both of them usually especially for the bride it's going to be a complete 
come down and it's going to be like, oh, this was the build up to our to everything either we in our relationship. And so often it is the case that you know with cohabitation the divorce rate goes up um, significantly. So it's really interesting how all of these ideals that we sort of held onto as a society mm. because of the Christian moorings have been taken away. But people still like the big party element, mm. but they don't like the whole steadfast commitment, covenant before God kind of stuff. Is there kind of what, what do you think? How can we respond to this as the church when we've got our own problems anyway? Yeah, I mean, isn't isn't one of the issues we're dancing around here, Aaron? As I as I he described that, and reflect on what Michael and I said. I mean, one of the issues here is we need to figure out what the word marriage means, hmm. right? Because I think you know, I'm I'm you know, we joked at the start about the importance of, of words. You know, words words really do matter. You know, my my last book to give a totally shameless plug you know, the Muslims and Christians worship the same God, came out of the recognition that everyone's using the word God in all kinds of ways, but we're not yeah. stopping to go, what do we mean by it? And and marriage, we all assume that when, you know, two friends at work who've been cohabiting for nine years decide they're going to get married, have a big party, and say, oh yeah, we're getting married, that means mm. the same as a, as, a, as a Christian couple. Or to be fair, those in other faith traditions, actually it's not just Christians who, who, who mm. take, have a high view of, of marriage. We've got a particular theology of, of marriage, but mm. we're not the only ones who think that actually there is something more significant to marriage than, than just an excuse for a knees up. So I, I think there's a crucial question here around what the word marriage mm. means. And this, of course, ties into the whole same-sex piece, because I think you can't get away from the fact that in the Bible, however you try and dance around it and you know distract people with, oh, quick, look over here, is a squirrel. Well, there's an mm. unfortunate past text that's embarrassing to your case. You know, Jesus mm. in particular you know, is incredibly strong on marriage, takes those two yeah. passages from Genesis, you know, God created them in the beginning, male and female, for this reason, a man will leave his family and cleave to his wife, etc. So Jesus is very clear what marriage is. Well, then the question becomes, can we just change the ingredients and it's still be marriage? You know, in philosophy, we use, a, you know, use the phrase ontology to describe the nature of something. And so if the, if the nature of marriage, or certainly one of the aspects that makes a marriage a marriage, is is difference in the, in the, in the sexes, uh, in the terms of the partners who make it up. Yeah. I'm not sure we can just change those around and still have the thing at the end. In the same way that if you take two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom and bang them together, you get a molecule yeah. of water. H2O is the formula for water. That is ontologically what water is. But if you decide to come overall progressive and say, well, actually, you know what? I think we can use three oxygen molecules. I think we don't need a hydrogen kind of thing. We can just bung together three oxygen molecules. Yeah. Well, you may get something very interesting and potentially explosive, but you're not going to end up with water. <laughs> and I'm, in the same way, I'm not actually sure yeah. that we can just shuffle the ingredients around, again, treating human beings like interchangeable Lego bricks yeah. and yeah. still end up with the same thing. Now, there's a lot more to say about what marriage is from a Christian perspective, but I think starting there mm. with the question, what actually is it? Um, is marriage a thing? Or I suppose if you're a secular person, you might say, well, it's just a it's just a piece of paper, just a, a social mm. convention. Well, that's fine. But in which case, then you can marry a bridge mm. or marry four people yeah. or, or, or redefine mm. it any which way because there is no substance to it. Mm. And what's interesting, if you go that route, I remember early on in the same-sex marriage debates, people who are pro-same-sex marriage saying, why are, why are heterosexual couples getting upset? You know, same-sex marriage mm. doesn't affect your marriage. Well, it does, because if what you've done ends up changing the nature of marriage from being an actual concrete thing into being just a piece of paper or a social convention, yeah. and if same-sex marriage has, has achieved that state culture-wide, then I'm mm. sorry, actually, same-sex marriage has totally mm. redefined marriage for everybody. Mm. 
Yeah, so, and, and I'll just, to, to, Michael, I'll let you understand in one second. Just a couple of things to respond on that, Andy. Um, I had a conversation with a couple, with a, um, a student a couple of years ago, anticipating what Methodism would decide on same-sex marriage. And this guy was a Methodist. Um, he described himself as same-sex attracted uh, in a kind of close spiritual friendship with another same-sex attracted man living in the same house. and um, But he didn't believe that same-sex marriage was biblical. So he said, oh, I, yeah, I think it's not. There's no biblical case for same-sex marriage. Said, oh, that's interesting. What will you do when Methodism inevitably votes for same-sex marriage, as it will do in a couple of years' time? He said, well, yeah, we'll probably get married. But it just won't, it won't be married. It'll just be easier to get stuff, you know, better things that we'll do. We'll, we'll probably just get married, like, but it won't, we won't think of it as marriage in our mm-hmm. heart. And I was like, <laughs> like this is kind of going, the kind of the disconnect between language and reality about what things actually are. It has really gone a bit like crazy in, in this situation. Cause you just think what, how many acts can you commit with your, with your word, the words you speak or the, the kind of signature you sign somewhere or what you do with your body, perhaps that you don't think is really happening. This isn't really happening. We're publicly agreeing to be married in the sight of other people, in sight of the state, in sight of our church. We just won't think it's really marriage. And I just think it's an incredible um, elasticity that I guess develops, which obviously in the end would just be, they would eventually go, actually, maybe there is a way to see this biblically, that the scholar will help us out. Or that. Inevitably, that is what would happen. But it's just amazing the lengths to which we will go to kind of create flexibility for ourselves, isn't it? And there's mm-hmm. one, one other thing I'll just mention on the, on the Matthew 19 thing um, that, uh, uh, Andy mentioned Jesus's really clear teaching on, on on marriage and divorce. He, when the Pharisees ask him, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" He starts off by mentioning, accentuating male and female, which he doesn't mm. have to do. You could be like, Jesus doesn't have to say that in that kind of society. I think they all know that, that same-sex marriage isn't like a thing. I know there are examples of like Nero taking a, a male um, husband almost as a kind of ostentatious show of his kind of grandeur whatever but that it's clearly not seen as a as a norm in any way um so and he says have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and then goes on you know therefore his father is uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the, the two will become one flesh and that one fleshness is the two difference the, the difference of male and female that god has gloriously created different coming together in in that one flesh union and that, that, so it's really, really significant, isn't it, that Jesus himself actually draws attention to the male and female coming together mm. and not just two human beings coming together who love each other very much and are drawn to each other or whatever. Sorry, Michael, you were going to jump in. No, I was going to go back to something Andy said, which was he talks about what does marriage signify. And actually the word signify is really important, isn't it? Because um, uh, the whole point of marriage in the Bible is that it's symbolic. And this is something I've often try to bring up when I've been kind of explaining this in a kind of secular context in university, because people would often say like, why are you Christians so obsessed with marriage? Why are you so obsessed with sex? It's just another thing, you know, that you do. Um, and actually one of the things we want to say as Christians is, is sex and marriage is really important, not just because of what it intrinsically is a physical thing that we might do with another human being, but because of what it symbolizes. Mm. And, and we kind of used to that in other areas of life, aren't we? That things will have a value beyond their material value. Mm. Um, I, I remember a friend who got engaged and um, they were showing everyone their engagement ring and they were getting really excited about it and, you know, telling everyone how wonderful it was. And then I asked their now fiancé how much they spent on this engagement ring and I discovered <laughs> that actually my MacBook was worth more than the engagement ring. Huh. And I thought, you know, I don't go around, you know, 
to all my friends saying, you know, here's my MacBook, here's my MacBook. Although you know, I, I do know a few people who have Apple products and tend to do that. But <laughs> my MacBook has a material value, but that ring has a symbolic value. It, it symbolizes something more precious than a thousand pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in the Bible, we read that actually sex and marriage is symbolic of what ultimately God's relationship is to be to us. Mm. And so when we alter the picture, we lose sight of the reality. Mm. And so there are certain aspects of marriage which point us towards the gospel, this ultimate story of God's relationship with us. It's, it's a commitment of love. So if a marriage is unloving, then that's a horrific aberration of this picture. It's a lifelong commitment because it's a picture of God's commitment to us, which is, mm. you know, um, through thick and thin, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But it's also a relationship of people who are different. Um, just as our relationship to someone in marriage of the opposite sex is in some ways challenging because it's married to someone who is different from us in the same way our relationship to God is a, a relationship of difference. Mm. Um, and when we change any of those ingredients of marriage, we're not just changing the thing itself, we're losing sight of the thing it's ultimately pointing us towards. Mm. I find that really helpful. It's also really helpful because it reminds us that, that while sex and marriage is really, really important, it is important because it points us to something even more important, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And then it kind of leads into conversations about, well, what are we then saying to someone who may not be able to get married for whatever mm-hmm. reason? Mm-hmm. And of course, actually what we're saying is we may or may not have the picture, mm-hmm. but ultimately we're all invited to experience the reality that it points us towards. Um, so we're not ultimately missing out. But if we make sex and marriage the ultimate, the idol of society, then of course mm-hmm. telling someone that for whatever reason that they may not be able to experience that would be far more challenging. Mm-hmm. I think... Yeah. And that's really, really helpful just to pick up what something Michael said there. I think we may have mentioned this in a, in a, in a previous episode, but I, you know, a few weeks ago, I read um, Ed Shaw. Ed Shaw is a good, is, is a friend of ours at Solas and uh, involved with living out and so forth. His little book, um, Purposeful Sexuality. And again, we can put a link to this in the, in the show. It's really helpful because Michael, he does exactly what you described there. For folks that don't know Ed, you know, he's part of the, the group at Living Out. Living Out is an organization for Christians who are same-sex attracted but living biblically faithful mm. lives. Um, and, you know, it's interesting watching because I've seen Ed do university sort of talks and things where people will often sort of assume that he must be living mm. this really sad life because he's not experiencing <laughs> sexual intimacy. And he and others will always say, well, that's actually not the vision of Christianity, mm. that the greatest thing you mm. can do is have sex with somebody. The greatest vision mm. of the heart of Christianity is union with Christ. But in that book's mm. really helpful because he says the church has made some mistakes here because if we're not careful, mm. You know, yes, there are some things that marriage does and mm. operates as it, it, you know, it does bind together husband and wife. Absolutely. It's mm. for the raising of mm. children, procreation and the creation of children. Very true. And it's also there for the, you know, the mutual giving, receiving of pleasure within a marriage, uh, within, a, within, a, within, a, within a partnership context. So the problem with all those three things is they only go so far and they're also, um, they do exclude people. So if you are same sex attracted and trying to follow the Bible's teaching, then you are obviously excluded from that. And also if you're single, um that's the other thing in this sex mad culture that we live in um you know often when people would sort of say well how can christians you know talk about you know same-sex marriage not being not being okay because then you're excluding people who who are same-sex attracted go well those of you who want same-sex marriage you're excluding people who are single i've got friends and family who are who are single and that's been a painful journey and a world that says oh yeah you can sleep with whoever isn't actually helpful and ed says in that book exactly with the churches at times just talked about those three and stopped but we can't just stop there we need to go on, as Michael has said, and talk about the fact that the, you know, sex, the purpose of sex in the Bible, it's designed for this this ultimate metaphor of the relationship between human beings and mm-hmm. and, and and Christ. 
um, that it's this great model of God's love for humanity. You see that throughout the scriptures. A number of times where God is portrayed as a husband. Read the book of Hosea and the Old mm-hmm. Testament. It's not mm-hmm. some sort of modern sort of funky theological idea. It's a core metaphor through scripture and, of course, relationship with Christ and the church. And Ed has this lovely line where he says, you know, for me as a, he says, as a same-sex attracted Christian who is, you know, unless something changes dramatically and, and God does something, then we'll not be experiencing sexual intimacy you know uh, with other human beings he said that's really not for me a problem he said it's rather like you know missing the trailer but still seeing the film and if you get to go and see you know the big movie blockbuster nobody walks out the theater going man i so wish i'd seen the trailer six weeks ago because you've seen the the final film there's someone who is a follower of christ and looks forward to that great union of christ and his church in the new heavens and the US. Mm. That's what I'm looking forward to. And that's the picture to which mm. marriage points. And it's totally inclusive because it's mm. for all people in Christ, whatever their sexuality, whatever their marital status, you know, whatever their age, their background, their ethnicity. And it's incredibly uh, inclusive. It's funny. It's interesting. That's really, really helpful points, Andy. And uh, I'll just pick up one of those in a second. But I just thought as you were saying about the trailer, I wonder how, the, how does this analogy work? I, I quite often enjoy... Is this a weird? This is probably weird of me. I quite enjoy watching a trailer after I've watched a film. Is that weird? <laughs> like, because I want to see how it was portrayed. I was like, oh, that was a great film. How was this film portrayed in the trailer? Uh, I don't know why. That's an interesting thing to I, me. But I, how do you like- I also, well, I sometimes go and watch the honest trailers. If you haven't come across honest yeah. trailers, they're, they're oh, amazing. No. Which is look that website up. But my version of that, Aaron, is <laughs> my wife just like despairs us. I will whenever I've bought a product, an expensive product, I've bought a new. You know, I bought a new laptop kind of three years ago or whatever it is or, yeah. you know, I will re- then go and read the reviews after I bought the product. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to achieve, but I'm trying to validate my purchase choices. Yeah, but yeah I will often sort of spend a, a few days going, oh, yeah, yeah, look at this. I'll read the review of what I've already Part bought. of the, the product community, that's it. You're just kind of reaching out. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's, uh, you know. I remember when I bought my remarkable paper tablet that you know, Michael and I sort of love these things. Yeah, that's um, right. I, I'm never hearing the end of those paper tablets. Goodness me. YouTube, your te- technology, you, you've literally reinvented pen and paper by expe- spending more money on a, a more expensive version. it's Norwegian, it. so it must be all right. I mean, that's true. It must be all right. Um, so I was going to pick up on the more substantive point. Back <laughs> to reality. Back to reality. Is that, um, now, we touched a little bit on this. I'm, I, you know, We have slightly different views on this. I'm of the opinion that we get to same-sex marriage because we've already eroded the difference between men and women as being good, glorious, wise on God's part because the the accentuation of the difference between men and women in in how we understand them and, and perhaps in roles within uh, church and marriage, especially within marriage, that's what gets you to same-sex marriage because it doesn't matter who who is part of this marriage if it doesn't if if women do all the same things as men because we're scared of seeming uh misogynistic if we say otherwise or, or seeming that they're not equal in value to men because they can't do everything men can do and vice versa with women men and women um because of our fear of that and our lack of sort of owning what the bible says on those kinds of things we actually lose out on representing marriage as it is biblically and this is something that L- someone on the lgbt community uh, you could put that in inverted commas or not, as some gay people don't like that phrase, and some do. Um, they would genuinely level the charge against Christian, evangelical Christians and say, well, you guys don't even really follow marriage biblically anyway. You're defending the Bible on marriage. But firstly, loads of Christians get divorced and then remarried again. 
Um, and that seems to be expressly against what Jesus says. And secondly, you don't really follow headship because you kind of embarrass her. You just say, oh, there's a division of labor. I like doing this or she, she, she's better at this. So you, just, you don't really follow or observe headship in any way. And in Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, other places, it's really abundantly clear um, that there's, you know, a sort of different dynamic between men and women in marriage. So how do we deal with that? And when we're trying to recover what marriage is and mm. trying to do so biblically, how do we do so with all of that stuff in mind? I think that's really helpful to bring up and to just say two things on that, Aaron. I'd say, firstly, I think there can be a danger that we basically, like, as Christians have been like, as long as it's heterosexual, it's fine. <laughs> as if, like, the only thing that's important about marriage is that it's a man and a woman. And it's like, as we said earlier, there's a whole load more things there. Mm. So, you know, if it's not committed lifelong, if it's not a marriage of, of love, um, of real selfless commitments, those are, those are also destroying what marriage is ultimately meant to point towards. Mm. Um, so we're in danger sometimes of just taking one point and forgetting the others. Mm. But I think also it's an interesting one in terms of like the difference in the roles between men and women. And, and as you say, I guess, theologically, we said last week, I think that we probably have a podcast on that because, you know, there are differences of opinion. And um, one of the things that I found quite helpful is that traditionally egalitarians would kind of want to kind of potentially erode any differences mm. um, there. Basically say everything is, is pretty much equal. Um, complementarians would, would emphasize their differences. Um, I was particularly helped by a book by a guy called Andrew Bartlett, Men and Women in Christ. Um, and and he actually took neither a strictly egalitarian or complementarian line. He says actually his feeling is that there are um, roles that are open to both men and women within church leadership. But he says, and this is interesting, you can't get away from the fact that in the New Testament, there are specific commands that are given to men, not women, and women, not men, mm-hmm. in regards to marriage. There is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can't just kind of boil them all down and say they're exactly the same. Um, and that's the way that God has designed it. Um, so I think that's very helpful that, that actually, even if we're to say, you know, there are certain roles within church leadership that we might open up. There seems to be a real clear differentiation between men and women in marriage and how that should work. Yeah, that's really helpful, Michael. And, uh, you know, obviously I think the, the the commands are actually just as clear on uh, church roles as, as they are marriage, but that's a thing we will, will save for another <laughs> another time. Uh, uh, for our listeners, they'll be amused thinking, when is this episode going to happen when they really go to war with one another? Uh, who knows? It'll be the last episode. That's why we're frightened. <laughs> we'll, just yeah. never speak again. we'll call it the apocalyptic part of the gaps. That's it. Uh, but yes, uh, but I do absolutely that there's, there's differences in how those things are spoken of. And, and certainly... We can't ignore them, and then they are more and more embarrassing to ignore. And so they're, they're often thrown in in debates. Um, I think I mentioned maybe when I was in the debate with Steve Chalk on gay conversion therapy, one of his kind of throwaway things was, mm. "I mean, come on, guys, the church has been wrong about loads of stuff before about the roles of women and all sorts." And I was like, "I'll just keep quiet on this one. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm even crazier than you think I am, I presume." Um, so that, this, this sort of thing, yeah, it, it is important. I think it's a, it's it, there is a slippery slope. There's a trajectory here. These things don't happen by accident. Um, Andy, any kind of thoughts off the back of that on, on how we think about marriage, how we can respond as the church to the issues in society, the changes in society? Anything kind of that you can add as a, as a pearl of wisdom here? As a pearl, well, yeah, I'm not sure I have much in the way of, of pearls. And if I had them, would I toss them? Before? No. I don't <laughs> Referring to you folks, not the not our lovely audience. Um, I just want to pick up on the on the on the erasure of the differences thing. I think that's absolutely. The more I think about that, I think that that that's hugely important. Just like we said, the meaning of words is important. You know, sometimes the big ideas behind the scenes. And as one of the things I think that so often we do as the church 
is we end up gunning for the trying to you know make a huge noise about what is a symptom and we don't address the underlying mm. issue and we've talked in previous episodes about you know dying on hills and so on and i think we the church did slightly in some cases die on the hill of gay marriage and the way we handled that because we didn't go for the underlying issues we just went for the surface phenomenal because the difference piece in marriage is interesting i just want to talk about this for a second is that you know in ed shaw's book that i referred to a few minutes ago he's got a fascinating section where he where he talks about actually you know the fact that one of the sort of dirty little secrets that's not talked about is that a lot of same-sex marriages run into problems because they don't have difference and he says i'm not saying this as a christian he quotes numerous gay writers and lesbian writers on this, I'll just just read you this and then say say one other thing and then have back. Um, he quotes a chap called Daniel Mendelssohn, a gay journalist, who Ed says puts the case for the importance of sexual difference in sexual relationships best. And he quotes Daniel. Daniel writes, and as far as I know, Mendelssohn's not a not a Christian. He's he is himself a gay man. Mm-hmm. He says sex between men dissolves otherness into sameness because there is nothing the partner doesn't know about the other. If mm-hmm. the emotional aim of sexual intercourse is a total knowing of the other, well, gay sex, I suppose, may be in its way perfect, because in it, a total knowledge of the other's experience is finally possible. But since the object of that knowledge is already known to each of the parties, the act is, in a way, redundant. Mm. Perhaps it is for this reason that so many of us keep seeking repetition, as mm. if that way depth mm. were possible. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that and going, Struth. I one of the things I'd be I'm staggered about is how often, you know, from the mouths of those who don't share our Christian convictions, sometimes truth comes. And yeah. so I think, yeah, there is something about marriage that is designed around around yeah. difference. And as we quoted Jesus earlier, you know, male and female, not not the same, come come together. And of course, the 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 the, the image to which marriage is the big metaphor in Scripture that points of Christ and the Church, they are not the same. If we start saying, well, same-sex marriage is okay, then maybe we get into our heads that, well, maybe Christ is the church because yeah. we can change those pieces in that great yeah. eschatological yeah. vision. Yeah. Um, I, guess, in terms of yeah. what, I was going to say very quickly, in terms of what yeah. the church can do, because you asked me that question, Aaron, I, I, think, I think firstly we've got to find our courage and start speaking up, but fighting yeah. the right battles, not just going, in, oh, we think gay marriage is wrong because it's not the way it's ever been done. We mm. need to start talking more clearly about what we think marriage is, telling that, that bigger, better story. Then I think we need to be modelling what what real marriage looks like, and I think the church needs to be doing at times a lot more work in terms of supporting Christian couples and Christian marriage, mentoring, marriage preparation, counselling, you know, support and discipleship. All those things go together because it breaks my heart that the divorce rate for Christian marriages it is better than the world. It absolutely is, but it still is 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 a horrifying number because I think society should look at Christian marriage and see something different mm. and at times mm. i don't think they do so i think the two yeah to start with finding our voice and finding our courage and really modeling and demonstrating this is what christian marriage looks like. not because we think we're better or perfect and mm. yes christians have all the same issues that other marriages have mm. but this is how we work through them because mm. underlying marriage is is commitment and yeah. covenant commitment it's not all about the warm fuzzies and that we'll yeah. no longer get the warm fuzzies we throw that partner out and move yeah. on but you know marriage mm. is this covenant commitment you know, mm-hmm. till death do us part, mm-hmm. and this is what it looks like lived out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, that's really helpful. And it's really interesting how important that has been in Western society as a kind of cultural heritage of Christendom as well, isn't it? That that marriage being a good idea, a monogamous marriage, um, eroding sort of uh, notions of, um, well, actually of, of far more 
abject misogyny and uh, chauvinism than than a complementarian would be called today. You, you think about going talk to the the I don't know the the, uh, the Visigoths or the you know barbarians of of Germania or something before medieval Christendom mm. arrives. So all of the faults you could level at medieval Christendom, but the fact that you know people like Charlemagne instituted things like marriage as a significant thing within societies has, has been so important. It's been the bedrock mm. of society, and that's why people sometimes then some it's true perhaps people can idolize marriage but i'm very dubious when i hear that as an argument as to why you shouldn't die on this hill um because really it's not just this hill it's not really just like we only care about stopping gay people getting married it seems just you're being really mean why wouldn't you do that you know love is love god loves love um bless it actually it is the erosion of something far far more significant and, and, and a sacredly important thing as well as 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 that witness to the church so in a way though it's a hill we may not want to die on methodism hasn't wanted to die on that's why they've just had both views and said both are okay mm. um it it's actually a church a hill on which the church could die by not dying on it if you know what i mean so we're, yeah. we're choosing to die okay we're just going to like lose our influence we're going to completely dissolve ourselves into the ether as a result mm. of this and I, I remember even you know as, as a theologian i see i've seen this for, for years um in theological debates at conferences i think it was eight years ago i was at a conference and, and the guy um arguing for same-sex marriage was then challenged the q a was all about you know thruples quadruples quintuples coming in and, and actually seeing saying how outrageous this is because this monogamy is is very exclusivist and of course that's entirely rational it's a logical conclusion i mean as, as you said, Andy, yeah, earlier, the, the, the idea of the bridge and things like this, these things are necessary logical implications. As absurd and stupid as they may seem in a debate, uh, at, at one level, they become the reality very, very soon and much sooner than we think. There's a, a line I saw from a historian, I don't know, I think Kuntz was the name, within the last 40 years, marriage has changed more than in the last 5,000. And that just always ought to make you like stop and think, mm, is this a good idea? Marriage has changed more in the last 40 years than in the last 5,000 years. Um, what, what are the implications going to be? You know, How does that impact sex, as you mentioned, Andy? The sexual revolution has come in um, and changed how we think about sex. So it loses that mystery. We lose that difference. We lose that sense of otherness, um, which marriage in bringing people together as one flesh is a wonderful consummation of, as we used to talk about consummating the marriage. Um, it is a wonderful, glorious thing, but it's something that we have let slide in all sorts of other ways. And Michael, any kind of final thoughts on this and, and a kind of gospel angle uh, on this sort of, on this whole debate, really? Yeah, before coming back to that from a kind of evangelistic point of view, I guess one of the things I, was, I kind of hinted at earlier, I was saying when we, when we damage marriage, there are two dangers, really. Mm. One is um, we actually damage society. And that's why we think this is important, because we think, actually like marriage is a public thing it does affect the fabric of society it is good for society and when we alter that change that in any way that has implications and i think you see it most clearly in bringing up children i think we're going to start to already you know, we are starting to see um the fruit of well fruit in a negative way of, of what we've done in terms of the fabric of society and i think sadly sometimes you have to almost see a whole generation come and go before you start to realize, oh, okay, maybe we uh, made a mistake mm -hmm. there. Um, so I think from a kind of just a societal point of view, like this is detrimental. Uh, but again, as I said earlier, I think one of the things is um, ultimately this points us to something bigger than itself. And I, I think that's just so helpful to come back to. Um, why is sex and marriage so important? Because it's a symbol of something more important. Mm -hmm. um, and that's both means that we treat it as something precious 
um, and it's important how we treat it, but also we don't idolize it because we're, it's pointing towards something better. And you know, it's interesting often when we talk about idols, we talk about idols as, well, they are negative things, but obviously you know, they're good things often that are distorted. Um, and we're more likely to idolize something that's good than something that's kind of quite obviously bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we idolize marriage, we take the symbol and we lose sight of the reality. Mm-hmm. And we want to point people back to that. Because actually what I've discovered is that, you know, the Bible's, you know, Jesus teaching on sex and marriage is massively challenging, whoever you are. Obviously, it would be challenging if you are same-sex attracted. Um, it's also challenging if you're single. Mm. Um, I did get married last year, but for 38 years of my life, I was single. <laughs> it's challenging. But it's also challenging when you're married because it's it's still a lifelong uh, commitment to fidelity towards one other person. And that's not going to be easy at times. Mm. Jesus' teaching is challenging to everyone for different reasons. Mm. Um, it's not like, oh, these people get it easy. Um, it's going to be challenging, um, but actually it is worth it, worth it for society, but worth it for what it points us towards ultimately. And if we don't have the symbol, um, the beautiful thing is we're all invited to experience the reality. Um, or as Andy uh, talks about, if we don't have the uh, the trailer, um, we can watch the, the main film. Mm. Although, Aaron, I'm sure that you probably would rather watch the trailer than sad <laughs> things, which ruins the illustration somewhat. Yeah, you guys are all going to be in heaven. I'm going to be like, I'm just going to pop back down to earth and just see the trailer again. That's, right, <laughs> yeah. um, that's wonderful. Um, you know, thank you, Michael. And thank you, Andy, for all your um, pearls of wisdom as well. And I hope you um, listeners have found this helpful. If you have, please continue uh, liking, subscribing, all that normal podcasty type stuff, uh, sharing with those who you think this would be helpful, uh, for whom you think it would be helpful. And uh, from all of us, uh, from myself, Aaron Edwards, from Michael Otts and Andy Bannister, farewell. Farewell.